0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: In the vaccine debate madness engulfing the country, you might overlook that members of Congress are under no mandate to get vaccinated themselves, and they're under no obligation to say whether they are. But they are watching closely what's going on with the federal workforce. We get more now from WTOP Capitol Hill correspondent Mitchell Miller. And Mitchell, is there, in fact, congressional interest in what's going on? Because the agencies and the administration seem to be proceeding on their own here.
2: It's true. And there is a lot of interest here because, of course, the politicians within Congress have their own views of how things should proceed. Obviously, various agencies have decided to proceed on their own, uh, as you know, and have reported uh, Veterans Affairs and Health and Human Services among the latest to expand their requirements for vaccinations. The VA last week, along with HHS, saying basically the VA, uh, which was, of course, the first agency to get out on the lead on this, is requiring virtually everyone, whether it's a psychologist, pharmacist, social worker, you name it, to actually get vaccinated. Of course, they will have some time to get vaccinated, and they're also going to receive four hours of paid administrative leave if they do get vaccinated. And then you have HHS, which has a lot of employees that are going to to get vaccinated, about 25,000. And that includes many of the employees around the Washington area, including here at NIH and Bethesda. So these agencies are moving ahead and uh, members of Congress are keeping a close eye on them because they want to see, first of all, how they're doing it and how well it's working. And then, of course, there are differences politically within Congress about whether or not various agencies should be required to vaccinate people or whether people should have privacy in that area.
1: And that argument does run emotionally and wildly. I mean, it's almost like the era you had draft card burners, then bra burners, and now you've got mask burners on one side, (laughs) and then the people that think, you know, let's get with this, folks, and get the whole nation cured. So at this point, then, Congress is not making any more mandates for itself. It's just watching to see what happens with the workforce.
2: Exactly. And then within Congress itself, there is this unique situation for lawmakers in that they are not required to be vaccinated. Uh, Of course, we have 535 members of the House and Senate. Um, They've frequently, the congressional leaders have been asked about this at various points during the pandemic. Why aren't members of Congress required to be vaccinated? Or why aren't they required to actually say whether they have been vaccinated if others are depending on the health and safety of others. So obviously, there's a kind of a mirror effect of what's happening here within the Capitol Dome as it pertains to what else is happening across the country. But it's a little bit different in that, uh, you know, obviously, these battles are very, very intense. Uh, Many members of Congress on the Republican side are fiercely opposed to any kind of federal mandates, whether it relates to masks or vaccinations. And it's estimated, even though the numbers aren't exactly public, it's basically estimated that about 85% of the members of Congress are vaccinated. Virtually everyone on the Senate side is vaccinated. However, on the House side, it's estimated roughly at least 60 Republican lawmakers are not vaccinated or have not said whether they're vaccinated. This is going to be a continuing issue, too, because Congress, when it returns, will have all these issues bubbling up once again, whether or not people should be having to wear masks as they're required to do in the House or whether it's recommended as it is in the Senate.
1: And any truth to the rumor that if the whole infrastructure talks collapse that Nancy Pelosi will come out with a line of face masks to be sold in boutiques (laughs) next to the, uh, say, next to the Trump tie display.
2: I think so. I think we're going to have to actually have football helmets with masks uh, if things all fall apart in the next few
1: weeks related to that. All right. We're speaking with Mitchell Miller. He's Capitol Hill correspondent for WTOP. And there's some changes going on with respect to congressional staff. Level pay. That's kind of interesting.
2: Yeah, that's a very interesting development. It just happened late last week. Uh, House Speaker Pelosi and House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer announcing that staff members at a certain level will actually be potentially making more money than the members of Congress themselves. This has been kind of a contentious issue over the years. Some lawmakers say, how can the staffer actually be paid more than me? I went through the election. I've done all these things. I'm the person who leads uh, my office. But at at the other end of the spectrum are those who have argued that kind of like with the federal workforce writ large, that if you don't have some kind of institutional people that are here year in and year out, you're going to lose them to brain drain. And uh, as we both know, staffing salaries are at the lower level are really pretty low for the Washington area. Uh, And so a lot of people leave and they go to K Street or where they they go to a lobbying firm. And so what they want to do is have these uh, higher levels, basically $199,000 would be the top staff salary. That would be uh, about $25,000 more than the top salary for a member of Congress, which is $174,000. The leaders in Congress get more over $190,000. But uh, this would be a big, paradigm shift for members of Congress, uh, and it does look like it's going forward.
1: All right. I guess if the brain drains away from the staff, then the whole place would look like an extension of the National Zoo. So we got <laughs> That's to keep right. those people around.
2: Yeah, because we know that the lawmakers themselves don't actually write the laws. it's the staffers. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> Hopefully they have enough sentience to read them, though, when they do get written. Right. And when they return, of course, there is the budget resolution question Again, outside of the trillions bills, but just the 1.345 trillion for the discretionary budget, the old-fashioned part of the budget. Will they get to a resolution on there when they return in a what another week or so?
2: That's right. So, uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has put this on a fast track. He wants all of the Senate committees basically to turn the budget resolution into legislation over the next several weeks. He set a deadline on that for September 15th, which would of course be only about two weeks ahead of the fiscal year. So they are going to they think they're going to be able to get that done. They actually say that during this break period, they're going to be having committee meetings via Zoom and, and have staffers, uh, as we just talked about, working behind the scenes, trying to get this to bill form. And then uh, another complicating factor happened late last week in connection with the $3.5 trillion so-called human infrastructure bill, which is tied to the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill. Uh, a group of house moderates basically said to House Speaker Pelosi, we're not going to vote for the larger bill unless there is an earlier vote on the bipartisan bill. So that potentially could complicate things because House Speaker Pelosi and the Senate Majority Leader Schumer have both, as you know, tied these two basically inextricably together, and it's this delicate dance here where on the progressive side, it's just the opposite. They want to wait on the bipartisan bill and get everything into that larger human infrastructure bill, get that ready as part of that budget resolution, and then vote on the bipartisan bill. So a lot of moving parts related to these two
1: massive spending measures. And you spoke with local senators, Mark Warner and Chris Van Hollen. On this. Do they think this whole thing can stay tied together? You know, these guys are
2: basically half a glass half full type of lawmakers. And, and they, they're they really right in the middle of it. As you know, Chris Van Hollen from Maryland is on the Budget Committee. Virginia Senator Mark Warner is actually one of the few lawmakers who's working both sides of the track on this, literally both on the bipartisan infrastructure bill that has already passed the Senate, as well as this much larger $3.5 trillion measure. They both remain relatively optimistic. Uh, they said, you know, we've been up here a while. We've seen these ups and downs. There's going to be a lot of churn. There's going to be a lot of people who say this isn't going to happen or it's going to fall apart or what are you going to do next? But they believe that somehow this is eventually going to get to the president's desk. Uh, Mark Warner specifically said, he said, I can almost 100% guarantee you that the smaller $1.2 trillion uh, bipartisan plan that he worked on intensely will definitely get to President Biden's desk for his signature. But there is certainly a lot that potentially could go wrong here. We'll have to see what happens in in the next several weeks.
1: And they could ask the president to sign every page individually, and that would take some time.
2: <laughs> We'd be here well into next year in the midterms,
1: right? Yes, indeed. Mitchell Miller is Capitol Hill correspondent for WTOP. Thanks so much. You bet. Hello, and
3: welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving